Hello, and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you tune in for the program. God is all loving and he loves us so much that he cares about how we live. He cares about how we speak. He cares about every detail of our life. Over centuries, people have made idols and gods for themselves, but to what end? They have come and gone and had little impact. We're in Jeremiah chapter 10 to discover of God, there is none like you. Join Dr. Corbett now. Father, as we open your word up right now, we know that only you can do Only you can do the very things that I've mentioned. Stir people, bring people back to life and cause people to become Christians for the first time. So Lord, as we share your word, I need your help. I need your help. Help me today to share your word appropriately in a way that will achieve these goals, I pray. Amen. As we ponder these 10 verses, I'm aware that that right now I have three audiences. I have those of you who know God. Second, my second audience is for those who think they know God or perhaps would say they are a Christian. But your Christianity, pardon me for coming as close as I'll ever come to swearing, your Christianity is pathetic. There's no passion for God. There's no passion for the Bible. There's no, there's no passion for prayer. There's no ache for the lost. You're just going through the motions. And I thank you for turning up if you're here today. I hope if that's you, you are here today or you're listening or watching. You're my second audience. And it's my hope that, that somehow today something will jolt you because I know I can't guide you. Sometimes it's got to be a shock. It's got to be, it's got to be like they do. In, anyone seen the movie Inception? When they can't wake someone up, what do they do? Stick them in cold water and do it quick. Is that right? Am I I spoiling the movie for anyone? Well, if I'm going to spoil it, let me tell you the the whole crunch line of the movie. The whole crunch line of the... No, I'm kidding. But there's a point in the movie where they've got to wake them up and the only way they can do it is just shock them. Throw cold water on them now. And I hope today you you get a buckload of spiritual cold water on you that causes you to go spiritually, not literally. I mean, if you go literally in your... If you're literally here in your seat and you go... Then the person beside you go, oh, I know what's happening there. Um, but spiritually, I hope that's what happens to you today. That's my second audience. Then my third audience is this. My, my third audience today with this is you don't know God. And you know you don't know God. In fact, you probably don't even know if there is a God. You don't even know if God can be known. You're my third audience. And to you, I say thank you for giving me just these next few moments together, I think. Thank you for the opportunity because I think it actually is really important what we're about to do now. So they're my three audiences. But as we look at this text, we're going to see that Jeremiah had two, maybe three audiences. The first audience he had was the people of Israel. The second audience he had was God. And see if you can hear when the prophet is changing audiences. We're in Jeremiah. We're looking at the first 10 verses and then in our next message we will be looking from verses 11 to 18 and that one's going to be a great one particularly for my third audience and perhaps within my third audience those who actually are hostile Uh, you need to come to church next week and if you know people like that who are atheists and just 
hate God and hate religion and hate Christianity, we're looking for them. Make friends with them and bring them along to church next Sunday as well because next Sunday's message is really going to be good for them. But today, as we look at these 10 verses, there's two things that the prophet comes out with several times in this little passage, and it's essentially this. There is no one like our God. Now that expression, there is no one like our God, is summed up in a word, and that word is holy. That's what the word holy actually means. There is no one like our God. When we say you are holy, we are saying there is no one like you. You are holy. When the Bible calls us to live a holy life, it calls us to live the kind of life that that God, that God, calls us to live. So when the angels are singing in heaven, they give up using words and they usually just use that one word and they declare holy. Holy, holy is the Lord, God Almighty. Holy, there is no one like you. Notice this, Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 1. Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. I want you to see some things about this. If you know anything about the history of Israel, you know that some 80 or so years earlier, so even before Jeremiah was born, Israel, the house of Israel, was actually taken away into captivity to a place called Assyria, which today is essentially modern Iran, or uh, from my American friends, Iran. And Jeremiah is, is using this expression, house of Israel. Now, he, what we've got left, Jerusalem and the surrounding districts, is, is actually the southern tribe called Judah. So this is an interesting expression here, the word of the Lord, O house of Israel. And it's caused some scholars to go, who's he talking to? And this comes to the question of audience. Who is Jeremiah talking to at this point? It's even caused some commentators to go, this isn't Jeremiah writing this. This isn't Jeremiah. This, this is like he's all the way through talking to Jerusalem and the, the inhabitants of Ju, uh, Judah. And now he says, hear the word of the Lord, O house of Israel. So this is interesting because some people believe that he's actually, he's actually talking to the people who were part of the northern tribes of Israel, who were taken north to Assyria. And what we know from history is that that nation, Assyria, is about to be conquered by Babylon. And so pretty soon, and let me jump ahead in history a bit, pretty soon Judah itself is going to be conquered. And why they did this was to build up their own nation. The invading nation would take people away and bring them back basically as slaves and put them in their nation. So now the house of Israel and Judah are all kind of jumbled in together and they're in Babylon. That's what's about to happen. So Jeremiah is speaking a prophetic word to what is about to happen, that, that, that all the people of Judah will be once again united together with their northern brothers and sisters, the house of Israel. Here they are. Now notice this. Hear the word of the Lord, that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. This is speaking to a group. Now, this is really, really hard for us Westerners to appreciate. Why? Because don't, don't lump me in with everyone else. Don't put me in a box. Whether that box be called Australia, New Zealand, Europe, America, don't do it. I'm an individual. So if you've got something to say, say it to me. All right? But here's the prophet saying, no, no, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to you all. A collective word. Now, there is something that I think we often miss when it comes to this. Sometimes what God wants to do is about us, not about me. It's about us. And sometimes we don't allow God to have his way in us 
because we're so preoccupied with me. Me, it's just about me. When God wants to do something in us, hear the word of the Lord to you, O house of Israel, the prophet Jeremiah says. So let's go to verse 2. Thus says the Lord, Learn not the ways or the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them. Now, this is pretty, you know, I think my kids would say random. Like, where did this come from? Learn not the ways of the nations. You see, if Jeremiah is talking to all of the people that are in exile and will be in exile, and here they're surrounded by Babylon, I'll jump ahead a little bit. This is a nation that did some pretty horrible stuff. This is a nation that did some atrocious things to children. This is a nation that had some atrocious sexual practices and flaunted them fairly openly. This is a nation that did horrible things to animals. This is a nation that sacrificed human lives to statues made of wood and bronze and stone. And God is saying, don't learn from them. Now, I would have thought that was a bit of a no-brainer. But I want you to think about this. Israel, Judah, is about to be conquered by another nation that worships these false gods. There is a thinking in some people's minds that goes like this. The God who is the most powerful will have the most powerful army. I think you may have heard of religion today that even has that mindset. Let's move on quickly. Now, it, here's God saying, just because this nation is coming in to conquer you doesn't mean that their gods are stronger than me. So here's what we need to understand. Might is not always an indication of right. Now, I think that goes for anything. You can look at someone who's doing really, really well financially. They're really prospering. And the psalmists wondered this all the time. Hey, how come I'm serving you with all my heart and I'm struggling to put food on the table here, God? And that bloke over there, he's cutting every corner. He's cheating. He's a thief. He's a liar. And he's got more money than he knows what to do with. Might. Wealth, splendor, is not an indication of whether you're living right. And God says, don't learn from these people. Don't learn from them. Don't learn the way they do things. So you could also look at this. Don't learn from the nations where I'm going to send you. Don't be dismayed. Notice this. Don't be dismayed at the signs of the heavens. That's kind of like the whole astrology thing. Because where he was about to send them was into the home of astrology. I mean, literally, this is where astrology was birthed out of, out of this region. And God is saying, they're going to teach you all this weird stuff about stars and stuff, but don't listen to it. Now, probably, I mean, think about this. If, if they got there and these people were saying, let me read your palm, let me tell your horoscope, and none of it happens, pretty soon the, the game's up. Pretty soon someone's going to go, don't waste my time. None of what you're saying is real. But it sounds like God is saying, you'll probably find a lot of this stuff actually works. But don't learn it. Don't get involved in it. And it's an interesting thing because you could probably have someone, you know, read your chakra or whatever it is. And you could probably have candles inside cups give you love bites all down your, uh, down your back and you could probably feel the, the feng shui sort of washing over you. <laughs> so here's the next thing God is quite possibly saying to his people. Just as might is not always an indication of right, neither is experience. Just because you experience something doesn't mean it's right, it's of God. So don't be dismayed at what they tell you about the heavens. Don't be dismayed about what they read in the stars. Don't be dismayed at this. And you can see 
God is saying, these people will come across very, very spiritual. Very spiritual. And this is what we need to understand is close to the heart of God, that God's not after just spirituality. See, spirituality can be good and God-honouring or not. You see, just because you're spiritual, you read tarot cards, you do Ouija boards, you, you read chicken gizzards, you <laughs> can read other people's tea leaves. Tea, you know, just because you can do that doesn't mean you're honouring God. In fact, the Bible actually warns against this stuff. There's a whole section in the Law of Moses where it warns against people who speak to the dead, conjure up spirits, cast spells, do all this kind of stuff. Now think about it. If none of that stuff had any validity at all, God wouldn't even bother because the game would be up, What you know, you go, fill me on that, none of that works. But God's saying, no, it works, but for the wrong reason and have nothing to do with it. You know, when I look at the... I don't generally get the newspaper, but whenever I do, and you know, you flick across and there's horoscopes, I never look at it. I just never look at it. I did as a kid. I always wondered, you know, I'd read it and I'd go to my mum and say, What does it mean I'll be surprised by a stranger today who'll bear gifts of unexpected quantity? <laughs> You're probably going, did you read the same horoscope as me? I used to read that as well. Anyway, now the, the, some of it is just ridiculous, but there is, there is a, an occultic side of it that actually has some validity that we need to be very, very wary of. And let's not play around. And that's what God is saying here through the prophet. Don't learn it. Don't be impressed by it. Don't get involved in it. I've got some videos in my office of some pretty weird stuff going on in um, Africa. Like, really weird. I mean, like, obviously not doctored video. Stuff where people can, can levitate, stuff where, where this guy can do this with his hand, and he can actually manipulate parts of people's bodies. And we're watching this live, and there's a time-lapse thing where one of them goes over, over several hours. And you're looking at this going, you know, my Western brain says that doesn't happen, but I'm looking at looking at this with my western eyes going, but it's happening. How do you explain a lot of this stuff? Missionaries who go to foreign missions fields will talk about the powers of so-called witch doctors and so on, where they do these occultic, spectacularly supernatural things. And what do you do? Say, oh, it's just just done with mirrors. What are you, stupid? I mean, there is actually a real devil with real demonic forces that can imitate and it can... this force, this spiritual force, is a real thing that we should not be playing with. And this is what God is saying through the prophet, that they're going to be exposed to this. So, Jeremiah uh, chapter 10, verse 3, For the customs of the people are vanity, or worthless, or pointless. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammers and nails so that it cannot move. Uh, Next verse, verse 5. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field and they cannot speak. They have to be carried. They cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. Now, can I tell you, as this is being spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, there's a young kid 
a teenage boy listening to this. His name was Daniel. Daniel is listening to Jeremiah. Daniel is hearing this. He's getting this word from Jeremiah. And if you know anything about Daniel chapters 1 and 2 and 3, very soon, very early on in the story of Daniel, who's listening to Jeremiah, he's, he's one of these people that's taken into this land. And next thing, Daniel is being confronted with the death penalty if he won't bow down before a god like a scarecrow made from gold and hammered with metal nails and all the rest of it. And there's Daniel and he's going, now Jeremiah said, don't be intimidated by this. Don't get, don't get caught up in this. Here it is. Let's see, am I on God's team or Nebuchadnezzar's team? I'm going God's team. Man, he would defy an emperor and say, the God that you have put right there that I can see is nothing compared to the God that I worship that I cannot see. So what do we say about idolatry? Why do people have this propensity to create idols? Why do people do it? I mean, Jeremiah said, these things don't speak, they don't walk, they don't communicate. They're just nothing. Why do people do it? Because idolatry, like any other form of man-made religion, is really an attempt to replace God. And you go, yeah, those silly people way back thousands of years ago, gee, they were dumb. <laughs> gee, they worshipped idols, they were really dumb. Well, in the time of the New Testament, it was still going on. In fact, in Acts 15 verse 20, when it came to the church writing to the brand new Gentile Christians, that is people who weren't from a Jewish family, they said there's two things, two things you've really got to be on your guard for. Number one is idolatry, Acts 15.20. Number one, abstain from things polluted by idols. Number two, closely associated with idols. Number two is this, from sexual immorality. Sexual immorality and idolatry are closely linked. You see, if you think your body is just meat all the way down, and if you just take your meat and connect it with someone else's meat and there's nothing spiritual about it, just meat all the way down, meat and meat, <laughs> then you don't get it because you are intrinsically spiritual. You are not meat all the way down. In fact, your body replaces every cell in your body about every seven years. So what is it that stays the same about you? It's that unseen part of you, that real you. That it's, it's called The Bible calls it your soul. And when you have sexual activity with someone, it's a deeply spiritual thing. The Bible actually says you become one with that person. And someone has said this, imagine you know, God has created us special and we treat our bodies like they're just meat all the way from top down, just meat. And we take that $50 note and we scrunch it up and we throw it on the ground and we, it and we stand on it and scuff it and tip dirt all over it. Just treat our bodies like they're just meat all the way down. And you hold up that $50 note and it's scuffed and it's dirty and it's dusty and you go, is that, is that all we're worth? Would Jesus want that? And the answer is yes. Yes. No matter what you've done with your life, no matter how you've lived your life, I've got to tell you, Jesus loves you. And you may have been caught up in idolatry. 
you may have been caught up in trying to replace God because you will have a God. You will. The name may change, but you will have a God. We read in, let's pick one, Ephesians 5.5. This is Paul writing to the church at, at Ephesus. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that, that is, and this is what it says, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. You think, what? There's those two things linked again. Idolatry, replacing God. Sexual, Ill, illegitimate sexual activity. You think, well, how are, they re- how are they related? Because both of them say this, don't tell me what to do, I'll, tell me. I'll, I'll set the rules, thank you. And that is idolatry. That's why they're linked. And you can find that link in the Old Testament as well. So idolatry, it's an attempt to replace God. And here we go, verse 6, our key text. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great, in might. Wow. Verse 7, who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your due. For for among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. There it is again. For they are both stupid and foolish. The instruction of fools is but wood. Now, I want you to notice something. Verse 6, who's he talking to? God. You see his, his second audience? You see, he's, he's prophesying the word of the Lord this way. And then in the middle of it, he just stops. And he just, his focus goes from here to there. And he starts talking to God. That's profound. Verse 7. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your due. For among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. Verse 8. They are both stupid and foolish. The instructions of idols is but wood. Verse 9. Beaten silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Euphaz. They are the work of the craftsmen and the, hands of the gold, uh, and the hands of the goldsmith. Their clothing is violet and purple, and they are all the work of skilled men. So there is none like you, O God. None like you. None like you. This in theological terms, this is probably your word for today. This is called monotheism. Mono means one. Theism, God. There is one God. Monotheism. There is one God, it's about the second or third article of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. There's one God. There's only one true God. One true God. Now, we live in a world where people say, well, there's Buddha, there's Krishna, there's Muhammad, there's Allah, there's Jesus, there's God. Like, take your pick. And that's not the truth. There is only one. There is only one. And this is what... The prophet is declaring. So if there's only one God, I want you to see what Jeremiah himself does. Here he is. Don't, don't go the way of the nations. Don't be, don't be caught off guard with their idols and their supernatural activity. And don't think they're more spiritual than you because of the way they worship. Don't, don't let that stuff suck you in. And then Jeremiah lifts his vision and says to God, You alone are God. There's no one like you. Your name is great. You are great in might. What's he doing? He's worshipping. Let me speak to my first audience. Those of us who know God, if we know God, we must worship God. And I don't mean attend worship. 
That's the least of what I mean. I mean worship God. I mean, just to clarify what I mean, I mean worship God. I'm not making myself very clear, am I? But this is what Jeremiah calls us to do. We must worship with all our heart, all our mind, all our strength, all our soul. Now, there are times as a dad when, and Kim's done most of the work in teaching our kids to worship, but there are times when, when I'm just, I just want to, I want to let God know that I love him. And I'm in church and I, I might have Ruby just, dad, dad. And I go, I've got a choice now. I can let her know that she's my second priority, which is a healthy thing. Or I can be easily distracted and send her the wrong message. Now, please don't hear me say, I'm, a, I'm not saying I'm a neglectful father. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying our kids need to know how important it is to worship and to worship God. That's the first audience. We must worship God in our devotion, our words, and in our deeds as well. I think one of the worst things we can do for God is to tell people we love him and then go out and live like we don't. That's not worship. Israel, Judah, is about to be taken into a foreign land. They're about to go. Verse 10 says this, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. But notice this about God, because if you have a concept that God is like Coca-Cola's Santa Claus, he's just up there, he's all jolly, and he keeps a record of who's being naughty and nice, and that's the criteria, for whether you get into heaven or don't, then this is going to shock you. And here comes the bucket of water, I hope. Here it is. Notice this. At his wrath, the earth shakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. What does that mean? It means this. God is a passionate God. God is a God who feels. God is a God who is happy. God is a God who is full of joy, but God is a God who gets upset. God is a God who even gets angry, and the word that the prophet uses is the word wrath and indignation. And if you are hearing, yeah, I thought it, God's just up there and he's ticked and he's angry and he just wants to beat people up. No, you don't get it. Man, I've got to get some more ice. You don't get it. God is all loving and he loves us so much that he cares about how we live. He cares about how we speak. He cares about every detail of our life. And if you think you can live without reference to him, ignore him, live however you want, you don't get it, especially if you call yourself a Christian. Our God is a God of wrath and indignation. And I tell you what, on the day of judgment, I don't want to discover that. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, there'll be many who stand before me on that day as they are about to be sent to hell. And they'll say, but Lord, didn't we do all this for you? And Jesus will say, Jesus, meek and mild, the lovely guy, the stuff, the guy with product in his hair, the guy who glows in the dark, that one, yeah, him. He'll say this, depart from me. I never knew you. Please let that be icy, cold, shocking water down your singlet. Let it grip you. Let it. I hope some of you go, no, he's wrong. I'm going to look at this myself. Oh, oh I hope you do that. I really do. 
And now my third audience. I want you to see something here. Jeremiah is speaking to these people who are about to be taken away into a foreign land. They're going to be wrenched from their home, wrenched from their family. They're going to see their officials slaughtered. The king himself is going to see the last thing he he will see. Jeremiah goes on to say is this. You'll see your sons have their lives ended. And I'm, there are children here, so I'm not, Jeremiah actually says how it will happen. And then he says your eyes will be burned out. So you can imagine the kids that are coming out that Jeremiah's talking to and they see this devastation. They go into a foreign land. They now haven't got a mum. They haven't got a dad. They haven't got brothers. They haven't got sisters. They haven't got a home. They haven't got their toys. They haven't got their comforts of home. And they're in a foreign land. <sighs> what are you doing, God? There's a powerful word that the Bible uses, and it's the word redemptive, redeemed, redeeming. God is a redeeming God. He's a redemptive God. Notice this, that when these people were taken into this land, I mentioned one of them already. His name was Daniel. Daniel became a part of the wise men. Daniel became one of the people who contributed to the body of knowledge in Babylon. He told them about this God. He told them that God would one day send a Messiah. And when the wise men came from the east looking for the Christ child, they came because Daniel told them it would happen. And when we read of the New Testament background, we read of all this stuff in the New Testament because what we're about to read happened. Great, great good came out of great Great devastation. Now here's the point, especially to my third audience, those who don't even know if there is a God. This is where I would encourage you to pray a prayer, perhaps the first prayer you've ever prayed in your life. And it might go something like this, God, I don't know if you're real, but if you are, reveal yourself. Just do that. And if you're game, pray this one that is guaranteed to be answered. And it goes like this, Oh God, if you're real, not only reveal yourself to me, but have your way in my life. That's my third audience. And you may have even been raised in a church all your life. And there may even be kids here today like that. You may even be the daughter of a pastor. You may even be someone who claims that you are already a Christian. But you're my third audience. And I want you to see here God's redemptive purpose, even in the midst of life's disasters, God has a purpose. God is able to work great good out of great disaster. God is able to rescue to the uttermost. So there's my challenge from this text. Jeremiah says, everybody listen to me. Not just individuals, everybody together listen to me. When I send you into this land, don't do what they do. Know this, there is only one God, and there's only one way to this God, and that's through Jesus Christ. And even though it looks like the world have made these beautiful religious systems, they look beautiful. Don't get sucked in by it. Because there's only one God and only one way to him. And if you know him, do what Jeremiah did. Worship him. Worship him like you've never worshipped before. And if you think you know him and you're living the kind of life that says you don't, shame on you. You own a Bible, but you don't read it. Shame on you. Get your Bible out. Because I tell you this, as much time as you spend in your Bible every day is as much time as you spend with God. Please let that be ice down your back. And if anybody gets an idea after the service to go to the freezer and put ice down my back, I probably deserve it, but I'd prefer if you didn't. Fortunately, my son's not here because he would do that. He would... (laughs) 
And my third audience, you don't know if there's a God, I've given you two prayers to pray. And I've invited you to know that God has a redemptive purpose. Your life may be punctuated by abuse, neglect, tragedy. People may have hurt you horribly. But God will take you as you are. Let's pray. Father, I pray for those that know you, that they will want to know you more and worship you more passionately. Father, I pray for those who claim to know you, yet live like they don't care. Cause them to go, oh God, I'm not sure if I'm living for you, but I want to. I want to live fully for you. And Father, for those in our third audience, those who just don't know, they don't know if you're real, I pray for them that right now you would reveal yourself to them in a way that is real and true for them. And if that's you, you know something's already begun to work in your life right now. You know you need a fresh start. You know that doing life on your own sucks. You need somebody to help you get through. You need a God whom you can turn to, a God who will take disaster and tragedy and adversity and he'll either use it to correct you, direct you or perfect you then why don't you come to him now? I invite you to come to him now. I invite you to come and pray those prayers. Oh God, forgive me for how I've lived without you. Come and cleanse me of my sin and come and take over the reins of my life. I give you the steering wheel of my life. Take over my life. I want to live right and I want to live well for you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Idols and gods have come in all shapes and sizes, but... There is none like you. More from Dr. Corbett in this series on Jeremiah next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Jeremiah Part 22, There Is None Like You, are available from Lagana Media. You can contact us at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277, or via the website findingtruthmatters.org. If you missed the introduction to the Jeremiah series, you can receive a complimentary DVD copy just by writing to us at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. If you're listening outside Australia, for a gift of any amount to cover shipping, just email your details to us to request your complimentary DVD. The emailing address, mail at findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to the monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to having you join us at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.